Al-Bayan Radio presents the following lesson from Masjid Al-Azhar, Bilmo. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salam ala rasulillah. The last thing we, we covered of the misconceptions in regards to salah is purposely preceding the imam in the prayer. So when a person is being led by the imam, he shouldn't go before him. Some people, as we explained, especially in the ruku'ah, you find he finishes uh, the ayah that he's reading and you find some people already going into ruku'ah or going to ruku'ah as the imam Allah, already they go into ruku'ah and then semi Allah and then he's already standing before the imam is gradually standing and especially in sujood this is the most common he goes down in sujood Allah is going down some people you find them already semi Allah and already they're starting to go down even before the Imam says Allahu Akbar. And he says Allahu Akbar is going down gradually and you'll find some people already on the floor before him. This is not allowed to do that purposely. Preceding the Imam invalidates the prayer. Okay? Uh, as we said, and we mentioned this, uh, I mentioned this before. So purposely doing that knowingly invalidates the prayer. But if someone does it out of ignorance or forgetfulness, then he's excused. He wouldn't, you don't say to that person, or you would tell him that this invalid, he says, well, I didn't know, or I forgot, or I wasn't aware, then inshallah, you don't tell him, well, you have to repeat your prayer. But so he knows how dangerous it is, so he, he will be aware of that next time. Okay. Uh, the next point is standing to complete the misraqah before the imam says the second taslim. Okay, so we know that if you have come late to the salah, You've come after the Imam has begun the Salah and has already made a raka'ah. You join the Imam in whatever position he is in. And then once the Imam makes a taslim to end his prayer, then you must get up to complete whatever you have missed from the Imam or to make up whatever you have missed from the Imam. Now sometimes the Imam, as we know, normally the Imam makes two taslim. He says, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah to his right, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah to his left. Some people, as soon as the Imam says, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah to his right, they get up to complete whatever they have missed of the prayer. This is a mistake. What we should do is what? Wait for the second taslim. A person might ask why didn't he finish the prayer at the first taslim? Because it's possible that the Imam makes sujood as-sahu for something in the prayer that you are not aware of. Maybe you missed it because you missed part of the prayer. Or maybe it's something that was subtle that the Imam knows and you don't know. And so if the Imam makes sujood sahu, you're required also to follow the Imam because the Imam has not absolutely concluded his prayer. That's the benefit of the second taslim that we know that the Imam has finalized his, his prayer. Not only has he finished the prayer, but there is no more sujood sahu for him to pray. Is that, is that clear? So, standing to complete the misraka before the Imam says the second taslim is a, is a mistake. Okay, so we shouldn't get up to complete our prayer after the first taslim. Wait until the second taslim and then you can get up. If you get up before the second taslim, this is not correct. Even if the Imam, but you said, well, the Imam didn't do sujood as even if he didn't. In case he did, then what would happen? You would have, يعني, being different than the Imam. And oppose the Imam. And we said in our last lesson, and you can look it up, the importance of following the Imam. As the Prophet ﷺ, he said, The Imam has been put to be followed. Then why has Islam legislated congregational prayers and appointing the Imam and so many rulings regarding the Imam? 
Or else, if you want, everyone just prays individually. Correct or not? You don't have to pray behind the imam. But the Islam has put the importance of praying behind the imam. And so we have to respect that, uh, that, that, that worship and that legislation. Right. So the, um, the author, Hafizullah, he said, this is based upon what has been collected in Sahih Muslim, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, لا تسبقون بالركوع ولا بالسجود ولا بالقيام ولا بالانصراف. Subhanallah. The, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, and the hadith is in Sahih Muslim. He said, do not precede me in bowing, and we already spoke about this, or in prostrating, and already we spoke about this, or in standing, or in departing. Okay, so if the imam departs for the prayer from the prayer, do not beat the imam because if the imam makes one to slim and then you stand up, you've departed from his prayer and he still hasn't departed from the prayer completely by making the second to slim. So you only depart from the prayer when the imam departs from the prayer. Another thing related to this is that it is it is يعني, uh, from the etiquettes of the prayer to stay sitting. Not only after the imam makes the taslim, but until the imam turns around. And this is something that many people don't know. You know, after the imam finishes the salah, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullah, and then he'll say certain words of dhikr to himself or maybe raise his voice in them. Voice in them. Astaghfirullah, 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 Allahumma anta salam wa minka salam, tabarakta ida al-jalal wa al-ikram, and so on. And then he'll turn around, correct or not? Because this is what the Prophet ﷺ did. When the Imam turns around, and then it is proper etiquette to leave. Don't leave before the Imam turns around. Okay? So this is part, and the evidence of this is related to this. Because when the Imam is still facing the Qibla, it is still as if he is still in the prayer. And so you departing, before, because once the Imam turns around, then he is free to leave. So don't you leave before the Imam is free to leave. This is part of respecting and honoring the Imam. Because as we said, if we're not going to honor the Imam, then why are we praying behind the Imam? Just pray by yourself. The Imam and the prayer of the Imam must be respected. Okay, and as the Prophet ﷺ, he said, do not precede the Imam in ruku or in sujood or in standing or in departing from the prayer. The scholar said the meaning of departing is the taslim at the end of the prayer. It is called departing because it allows the person to depart afterwards. And he only departs after the second taslim. The person who has to make up part of the prayer waits until the imam has completed his prayer. Then he stands and completes what he has missed from his prayer and Allah knows best. Another misconception that we find among the Muslims is pronouncing the intention at the time of the prayer. You find some people that as soon as they're about to pray, they will say, verbalize their intention. When we were young, we were taught this. Some people, mashallah, they read a newspaper. So many things, especially the Indonesian, the Shafi's. Right? They say, they make the intention, I intend to pray for rak'at dhuhr, on the correct time, behind the imam, I don't know what. So many things, like going over the conditions of the salah, to make sure, that, especially the shafi and the shafi method, are very particular about specifying the intention. But many people grow up with this tradition, 
This is not something that the Prophet ﷺ practiced or taught to do. The intention, yes, generally the intention is important. The cornerstone hadith of Islamic rulings. First hadith that we learn, in actions are but by intentions. The intention is very important. But the intention, even by its definition, even in English, what does it mean? When you come home and you bring your wife a, a bouquet of flowers, what is your, what's your intention? Why are you doing this? Right? What do you want out of this? What's the intention? Is it supposed to say, no, no, no. The intention isn't something. The intention is what? It, it's hidden. And it's shown through the action, generally. Of course, there can be ulterior motives. But generally, it's shown through the action. So when I stand, what am I standing for? I went and made wudu and I stand and prepared myself. And um, What am I doing? The intention should be something that's present in your mind. It's not something that is required to be spoken. Now sometimes, as I said, we were taught this when we were children. Maybe they taught it to us when we were children because they're still, because children may be still learning and not aware of intention and their awareness and so on to, to teach them. But let's say, okay, this is the case for children. Even though, as well, it wasn't something that was taught to us or instructed to us even to teach the children. They should be taught to understand what the intention is, to understand their prayer, whatever. But to verbalize, and even it becomes like a whole chant. And some people, if they mix that up, then they'll go back. Even he intends to pray, Lord, no, it has to go back. And it becomes like, a, 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 a instead of something that helps you remember, it becomes something that's obligatory. And if you miss it, it's like your prayer is not valid. It's not correct. Okay? So let's say for argument's sake, it's something they teach the children to help them. Okay, now you become an adult, 60 years old, mashallah, you still... Practicing? Still ABCs? No. The intention, as we said, if it was practiced by the Prophet ﷺ, then we do it because the Prophet ﷺ did it. But he didn't do it, so we shouldn't do it. There's only two occasions in which the Prophet ﷺ would verbalize his intention. Does anyone know what these two occasions are? And when initiating the rituals of Hajj Umrah, لَبَّيْكَ اللَّهُمَّ حَجًّا he would verbalize his intention to initiate the Hajj or the Umrah. Okay? The second time, hmm? who knows? In slaughtering a, 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 a ritual slaughter. Not necessarily if it's just a normal slaughter for meat, you say, Bismillah, Allahu Akbar. But if it's an intentional ritual slaughter, like Udhiyah, okay, then he would verbalize its intention. Or for example, it's Aqiqah. He say, Bismillah, this is Aqiqah on behalf of Saul. Still say Bismillah, but verbalize its intention. This is the only time it was verbalized. It wasn't verbalized for everything that you do. Some people before, Nawaitul Wudu, Nawaitul Salah, Nawaitul Siyam, Nawaitul what? For everything. If it was something from the sunnah, we do it. If it's not from the sunnah, then we shouldn't make it a sunnah. Okay? Now I'm not saying if someone does it, but don't, if someone does it, but don't make it a sunnah. Some people have not only made it a sunnah, they made it a wajib. Alright? And it's like, if, if you miss it, it's like your, your prayer or your wudu or your fasting is not valid. No. 
Okay, so this is a common mistake of pronouncing the intention at the time of the prayer. This is, the Sheikh said that this is an innovation. Especially it would be considered an innovation if you consider it a religious practice. Some people they say, no, it's just to help me remember. If, if that, then maybe we wouldn't go to the extent of calling it an innovation. But if you believe that no, this is something good to do and something right to do, and you believe that if you don't do it, you're doing something wrong, then you, it's, this is a form of legislation. And any legislation that is not founded by the Sunnah is rejected. It's an innovation. Okay? And innovations, as we know, are prohibited in Islam. As the Prophet ﷺ said, Man Whoever innovates in this affair of ours, considers it part of religion, and it's not part of the religion, then it is rejected. The Prophet ﷺ never audibly pronounced his intention for the prayer. Ibn al-Qayyim he said, When the Prophet ﷺ stood for the prayer, he said, Allah is the greatest. Allahu Akbar. That's all he said in terms of verbalizing. But the intention is there, of course. Because with every action, you're going to have an intention while you're doing that action. And he did not say anything before it. He absolutely did not utter his intention. He did not say, I will pray for Allah, prayer for such and such, facing the direction of the Qibla, in four units of prayer, uh, leading those behind me, or being led. All right. So as we said, يعني, some people read a whole, like go through all the conditions, read a whole newspaper. A whole like, you know, it's like a contract. All these conditions. For the sake of Allah, you know, because they go through all the conditions of salah to make sure it's all, you know. So I pray for the sake of Allah, such and such prayer. Facing the qibla as well. Facing the qibla, four units of prayer, leading those behind me. You know, once a brother, he was telling me, it's a bit of a funny story, that when he prays with his father-in-law, his father-in-law is an old man, he's, you know, borderline senile. <laughs> when he lines them up to pray, you know, when all the you know, sons and sons-in-law and all the grandchildren are over on, the, on a weekend or whatever, he insists, even though he's, but he insists he's the head of the house, he has to lead the prayer. And he lines them all up, and he says, and he says this, and he starts mentioning everyone's name. And then he forgets some of his grandchildren, what's your name? <laughs> whatever his name is as well, he's praying with us. You know? So this is, sometimes these type of things, Yani, to what extent? Imagine a whole masjid full of people, or they just say generally those who are being prayed behind me. You know, all of this is not required. All of this is not from the teachings of the Prophet. Or he says that uh, I'm being led by the Imam. You know, because they require this, those who promote this idea, they require the intention to be spoken by not only the Imam, but also those who are being led. Anyway, as what Ibn al Qayyim further says, he did not say. I am performing a prayer during its time or making up a prayer as well. They specify whether it's a prayer that in its valid time or whether it's a prayer that has missed its time and you're making it up due to some reason. يعني. All of this is an innovation. This is what Ibn al-Qayyim said. There is not a single narration with an authentic chain of narration or even a weak narration or fabricated hadith even doesn't exist which mentions him doing any of this. This is not done by any of the companions and those who follow the companions, or even the four imams of the madhabs. And that's what you have. People say, no, I follow Shafi'i madhab, or Hanafi madhab, and this is what I have to do. Even the imams of the madhabs didn't stipulate this. Okay? The next thing is, that is a common mistake, is not reciting Surah Al-Fatiha in the prayer. 
Not reciting Surah Al-Fatiha in the prayer. So you have some people that throughout the entire prayer will not recite Surah Al-Fatiha. Okay? So as we all know, or we should know, that Surah Al-Fatiha is an integral part of the Salah. Integral meaning that if it's not, if you do not recite Surah Al-Fatiha, your prayer is invalid. Okay? So Surah Al-Fatiha is a pillar of the prayer. And the prayer is not correct for the person who doesn't recite Surah Al-Fatiha. The Prophet وسلم, he said, Man salatan lam al-kitab tamam. The Prophet وسلم, he said, whoever offers a prayer and does not recite the opening chapter of the book, then it is defective, it is defective, it is defective. Meaning it's incomplete. He said that three times. The Prophet وسلم, he said, There is no prayer for the one who does not recite the opening of the book. And the Prophet وسلم, he said, قلنا نعم قال لا تفعلوا إلا بفاتحة الكتاب فإنه لا صلاة لمن لم يقرأ بها A narration of the Prophet ﷺ said Perhaps you recite behind your imam They said yes He said do not do that Except for the opening of the book Al-Fatiha For there is no prayer for the one who does not recite it Okay So if uh, uh, The only thing that we should be reciting in the prayer Is uh, The Fatiha Okay, uh, if the imam, if we can hear the imam. So some people, for example, the imam's reciting a surah that they know. What do they do? They read along with it. And so what would happen, and as an imam, your ears become very, very sensitive to any noise. And you can hear the person reading with it, and sometimes it can mix up the imam. So we shouldn't recite with the imam. Here he said, except for al-fatiha. And what is meant by that is that you do not recite it, Audibly, you recite it silently or you listen attentively as if you are reciting it. Okay, so you might, if to the maximum extent, move the motion of your mouth without any voice. Okay, so you mouth out the words but not say any voice. But some people, and they, no, we shouldn't be doing that because this will disturb those around us and even disturb the Imam. Imagine 100 people doing this whispering. Or hushing sound. So it's no no audio. Just, you know, mouthing the words. If at all. Okay? Or else the Fatiha, if you are listening attentively, then it's as if you're reciting. The recitation of Fatiha for those praying behind the Imam is always done in the silent prayer. So if there is a silent prayer, like Zuhur prayer, Asr prayer, the Turqa'az, uh, يعني after uh, in the, the, the second and third rakah of Isha or the third rakah of Maghrib then you don't hear the Imam reciting you recite it to yourself but as we said you mouth the words but no without any uh, voice or no audio as for the prayers in which the recitation is allowed the Imam is writing, reciting out loud and you can hear the Imam's recitation there is a known difference of opinion among the scholars in this matter, the majority of the scholars say the recitation is waived in this case. But to recite it is to free oneself of blame and safer for the religion. Most of the scholars who say that it is waived in this case still say that reciting it is recommended. So as I said, that if you cannot hear the imam, it's an inaudible prayer, then you recite it to yourself silently. And if you can hear the imam's recitation, scholars differ. Some said you listen and your listening is counted as recitation. Some said no, you can 
recite only Fatiha, but as, as, again, inaudibly. Okay? Only in the, as we said, uh, when you're hearing the Imam. Now, point number 10, reciting the Qur'an in Ruku' and Sujood. This is as well a mistake. We should not recite the Qur'an in Ruku' and Sujood. We only recite the Qur'an in the first standing of the prayer, of each Rakah. So a person, for example, he'll go into Ruku' and maybe he wants to practice the Surah that he read or get ready for the next Rakah, so he'll read the, the verses not aloud. Ruku' and Sujood are not for Qur'an. They are for Tasbih. For saying Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim and Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la or any other Tasbih that has been narrated by the Prophet Wasallam. Some scholars, they said any Tasbih is allowed even other than that, which is fine. Okay? But the Tasbih that have been narrated by the Prophet Wasallam. But generally, to recite Tasbih in the prayer. Not Qur'an. Uh, this is prohibited due to the hadith of Ibn Abbas, the Prophet sallallahu said, The Prophet sallallahu he said, I have been forbidden to recite the Qur'an while bowing or prostrating. Okay? Unless what a person is saying a dua that exists in the Qur'an and you're saying that dua in your sujood. So you saying that dua are you saying that dua for the sake of the dua or for the sake of reading Quran? If, if you're saying for the sake of dua, no problem because it's a dua. But if you're saying that dua because you're reading Quran, then you shouldn't be reading Quran. But you're saying the dua not for the sake of reading Quran, for the sake of making the dua that occurs in the Quran, there's no problem in that. Especially in the sujood. Ali bin Abi Talib radiyallahu anhu, he said, Nahani Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam an aqra'a raki'an aw sajidan. The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam forbade me from reciting Qur'an while bowing and prostrating. Okay, so these two narrations are in Sunan Nasa'i and the second narration is in Sahih Muslim. So it's a reliable narration. The next thing that is a common mistake that we find some people doing is raising the eyes towards the sky during the prayer or looking to the right and the left without a need. So some people, especially when they're raising from ruku'ah, so they're in ruku'ah, and they look up. Okay? And they'll raise their hands sometimes like this, like a dua. Okay? When a person rises from the ruku'ah, keeps his eyes level. Or facing the floor as normally, but not to raise his eyes to the sky. If he's going to raise his hand, raise his hands as is normally done. Not raising his hands in the form of, I would raise our hands in dua. Okay? So raising the eyes to the sky during the prayer is prohibited. And there is a threat for those who do so. The Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, uh, the people will either stop lifting their eyes to the sky during the prayer or their eyesight will not return to them. So maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will cause a person to become blind in his eyesight if a person insists on doing that. Especially if he knows that it is forbidden. It's as if he is defying the command of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu As for looking around during the prayer, some people they pray and they're looking around. Okay? And sometimes a person may do it like sometimes some children or maybe someone who's 
a new Muslim or something like that. But someone who's a Muslim and knows he shouldn't be doing that, then he shouldn't do that. So looking around in the prayer, uh, this decreases the prayer of the slave if a person does not look completely uh, in uh, another direction. But if he looks completely in another direction, he invalidates the prayer. So if a person just looks, but he's not turning in the direction, but if he turns in the direction, he turns his shoulders or his body away from the qibla, it invalidates his prayer. Unless there is a necessity to do so. So what's a necessity to do so? Let's say, for example, you're praying and it's winter and you have the heater next to you, for example, and your child comes to touch the heater, going to burn their hands, for example. So you go to pick them and you, you know, out of necessity to remove them, you turn away from the qibla, it doesn't invalidate your prayer. You keep praying. Okay, you don't have to stop your prayer, save him and then start your prayer again. No, you continue praying because this is a movement of necessity. But if a person turns, what, you know, he heard a voice or whatever and he turned while he's praying, invalidates the prayer. But if he just turns with his head but not with his body, this decreases the reward where his prayer is still valid. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, as narrated by Aisha radiallahu anha, سَأَلْتُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ she said, I asked the Messenger of Allah about looking around in the prayer. He replied, it is a way of stealing by which the shaitan takes away a portion of the prayer of a person. And the Prophet he said, Beware of looking around in the prayer, for surely looking around in the prayer is destruction. And there are other narrations prohibited looking around during the prayer. Okay, <clears throat> point number 12, squatting during the prayer and spreading the arms in prostration. Squatting in the prayer and spreading the arms in prostration is forbidden. Squatting is prohibited based on the hadith narrated. Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu, he said, Nahani Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam an thalathatin an naqratin ka naqratid diki wa iqa'i ka iqa'i al-kalbi wa al-tifat ka al-tifat al-thalam. The Messenger of Allah prohibited me from three things. From pecking like the rooster pecks. What does it mean to peck like the rooster pecks? To pray quickly, up and down, up and down, up and down. Like the rooster. Squatting like the dog squats. Okay, so that means laying the arms forward. You know how a dog would sit. So laying the arms and the elbows on the floor. So instead of making sujood and lifting the elbows, Putting the arms down. This is what is, is meant by squatting like the squatting of a dog. So this is prohibited. To put the forearms and the elbows on the ground during salah, especially during sujood. And looking around like the fox looks around. So during salah looking around, you know, the fox it looks for its next you know, chicken or rabbit. Okay, or during when you're either when you're standing or when you're sitting, people looking around. Some people they do this, subhanAllah. Either they don't know, they're ignorant or... I don't know if they do it on purpose. But this is all a sign. Wallahi, yani, I remember um, being a message in Nabawi. And you find a lot of people, subhanAllah, praying. And they're looking, you know, the beautiful decoration of the masjid. You know, it's very beautiful. Some people are looking around. And they look at the people. And I remember once I went like this to the guy. <laughs> and then, because <laughs> I was worried he was praying, yani, sunnah prayer. You know, just to make him realize it wasn't a fad prayer. So I was walking in the in the yani walkways between you know the Masjid and Nabi, and he realized what he's doing because when a person's so like some people they're like looking around so much you, is this guy praying or not and then all of a sudden they're going to rukua 
right? So this takes away from the uh, the khushu' of the prayer. And even people don't know if you're praying or not. You know, these type of movements are the, the movements, the excessive, unnecessary movements that the scholars deemed invalidates the prayer. Okay. <clears throat> the Messenger of Allah ﷺ forbade the people from spreading their arms like a beast of prey does. The Prophet ﷺ, he said, إِذَا سَجِدَ أَحَدُكُمْ وَلَا يَفْتَرِشِ When one of you prostrates, let him be balanced and not spread his arms like the spreading of a dog. So as we as well like how does the dog lay out his arms and so on so a person should have his hands close to his either the, the shoulder in line with his shoulder or in line with his his ears when he's sujood not putting putting them out too much or not too in and his arms as well being uh, uh, as we said about the forearms not being on the floor but being away from the body and if he's praying alone or he has space to spread them out as Rasulullah he did he said but not to spread them out forward or to put his elbows on the floor as the dog does and this is something that's forbidden so it just shows that even in the postures of our prayer that we maintain a dignity and not uh, imitate the uh, or pray in a way that would sort of degrade uh, a believer all right but rather to pray in a dignified way to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not to degrade a person by imitating the, the, the postures of, of animals. Okay. The next uh, uh, point is wearing transparent or flimsy clothes that do not hide the awrah. Wearing transparent or flimsy clothes that do not hide the awrah. The awrah is a private area. Okay, this invalidates the prayer because covering the awrah is a condition of the correctness of the prayer. The awrah of the man, according to the correct viewpoint, is between the navel and the knee. Likewise, it is obligatory to cover the two shoulders or one of them. And this is based upon the statement of Allah when Allah Ta'ala He says, Ya bani Adam masjid. O children of Adam, take your adornment while praying. So a person must wear appropriate clothing during the prayer. One garment is sufficient to cover the awrah based on the hadith of Umar ibn Abi Salama radiyallahu anhu annahu ra'a Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yusalli fi thawbin wahidin mushtamilan bihi fi, fi bayti ummi salama wadi'an tarafayhi ala atiqayh that he saw the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa praying in one garment in the house of Umm Salama. He was completely covered by it and had put both its ends over his shoulders. Okay, so Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa would pray covering his awrah between the navel and the knee and the garment would also cover his shoulders. So likewise, we should do the same. So not to pray topless, for example, alright, some... Brothers, for example, they say if, if it's a hot day in summer or for example they're at the beach or they're at the pool or something like that, can they just pray in their shorts? I say, no, brother, don't you have anything better to pray in? All right? Go and get a towel, wrap a towel around you like a sarong, you know, or a longi or whatever, izar, wrap the towel around you from your navel to, to your knee because the shorts, because when you make rukur or sujood, what's going to happen? They're going to be tight around the outer area or sometimes even though they might be up to the knee, when you bend your knee, then they will recede and, and, and expose part of the thigh. When you make rukua, sometimes the, it will slip down and show your lower back 
and go beyond the level of the navel. Because when we say you have to cover your navel, your belly button, it's not only cover your belly button, but what is equivalent to the belly button in the back. So some brothers, you see, they go into rukur or sujood, and their pants slip down and their shirt slips up. And then the lower back, or even worse, is exposed. Okay, and this is not appropriate. That's why we should wear, yani, wear decent clothing, respectable clothing. You need to wear a thobe, for example, uh, to keep a thobe with you in your house. Even you're at home, there's no one seeing you, but dress appropriate. Wear a thobe when you pray. Or keep it in your car, even if you're at work. Wear your thobe on top of your work clothes and pray. Or at least have a, يعني, have a long shirt. Make sure you have a long shirt like uh, Sirwal, you know, the Sirwal Qamis, you know, the Pakistani thobe. Or at least have a Izar with you, the uh, some of the brothers call it what? The skirt. <laughs> this, the, right. <laughs> you know, but the, the proper Arabic word is izar, but the, in, the Indonesian call it sarong, the, the Indians call it a longi. Uh, has other names in different, the, the, I remember the Somalis call it something else. I forgot what it, yani. uh, so every culture has that same, uh, same thing. In Arabic it's called the izar. No. No. Mm. Yeah, especially like the beach towel, if the big towel, long. They should be covered. Unless you don't have. Yeah. For example, let's say, for example, a person's in Hajj Umrah. What does a person wear in Hajj Umrah? The Izar and a towel on the top. It's called Ridat. Okay? But it's not fixed, is it? The izar is fixed on your waist, okay, but it's open from the bottom, that's okay. But the rida is not fixed, it's just pretty much a towel you throw over, over your shoulders. Sometimes while you're praying it falls off, there's no problem, it doesn't invalidate your prayer. Or let's say for example it, it falls off or you lose it or you don't have it, still the prayer is valid. But if you have it, then it's better to cover your shoulders with it. Okay, if it falls off, you can pick it up and put it back on, or if you leave it, for example, it, it's okay. So what's the absolute minimum is covering the, 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 the awrah, which is the navel to the knee. But if you have it available, even if you have a towel, put a towel over, over your shoulders in, when you're in Hajj Umrah, if you're at the beach or at home, it's a hot day, whatever. Because it's not appropriate. And you wouldn't go walking, walking around the streets, meeting people, if you're a dignified, respectable person, to be topless. You know, at least you would. You know, have something minimal to cover your, to cover your body, and if this is something that we expect out of to be decent and respectable, then how about standing before Allah Subhanahu wa Taala? Okay. <clears throat> so Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says, "Oh sons of Adam, take your adornment while praying. One garment is sufficient, as we said." <clears throat> Imam Ibn Qudam, rahimullah, he said, it is required to wear something that conceals the color of the skin. So it can't be something so thin that it's see-through. It's thick enough that you can't tell the color of the skin. That if it was just for that garment, you couldn't tell if that person was white-skinned or brown-skinned or dark-skinned. You know, that it's enough. But sometimes you can see the skin, but you can't see the color. And sometimes, yani it's, yani the, the cloth... It doesn't have to be thick, especially if it's a hot day and wear thick cloth. You can wear uh, clothing that maybe is slightly see-through, but you can't see the color of the skin. But some cloth is very, very thin. They can see even 
uh, the skin color. If it is light and shows the color of the skin underneath it, and one can tell whether the skin is white or red, and then it is permissible, then it's not permissible to pray in it because it does not cover properly. Okay, so the clothing that we wear has to be and you know, not transparent, it has to be you know, decent cloth that covers the skin, as well can't be skin tight, that shows and forms the awrah. Okay? Nowadays, Allah Musta'an, you see people, especially women, walking around in, in, in tights that you know, it's like they're purposely designed to form the awrah. This is you know, it's, it, it's wrong on so many levels. So, and as well, unfortunately, it's become now a trend, even among some Muslims, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide us and them, that they're wearing short shorts. Muslim brothers in beads and their wife in niqab and he's wearing short shorts. He wants his wife to cover, he doesn't want to cover. Akhi, this is wajib to do. The, the niqab isn't wajib, according to the majority of the scholars. But covering your is, you know. Unfortunately, people following the trends and wearing these short shorts now as well as we're approaching summer. Now, how are you going to pray, brother? And this is what we say to the brothers and to the sisters, to the brothers and to the sisters. If you cannot pray in the clothes that you're going out in, you shouldn't be going out in those clothes. Some sisters, mashallah, they're wearing clothes, but then when they come to the masjid, they say, do you have prayer clothes? Well, what are you, what, what are you wearing? You can't pray in those clothes. They know themselves that their clothes are too tight to pray in. They feel ashamed and embarrassed to pray in those clothes. They go and they get the prayer clothes, you know, the, the baggy skirt and the long hijab. Well, this is, if you cannot pray in those clothes, sister, or brother, you, can, you don't feel comfortable praying, you, you're making ruku'ah and sujood, you feel like your, your pants are going to split, you shouldn't be praying in those. <laughs> you shouldn't be praying in those clothes. Right? If they're very tight. And generally plant pants, generally pants, no matter how baggy they are, they become tight once you make ruku'ah and sujood in them. Okay? So that's why it's always better to wear a thawb, to wear a abaya, or to wear the long shirt, like the Pakistani shirt that folds over, or to wear izar. Okay? Because it doesn't matter how baggy your pants, your, your pants uh, are, whether you think they are, or maybe they are. Once you make, once you, you, you bend in Rukur and Sujood, they become, they form over. And so definitely if they're tight essentially, then of course it's going to be worse. So we should always try to pray in the best and most appropriate way Okay. Uh, gen- uh, the, the, for for the men or for, for the men. yeah. So uh, covering the awra, huh? Of course, yeah. So it, going out in public. If you're in the privacy of your own home, then something else. Yeah, but if going out in public, just as we said with the sisters, sister going out in. Hijab, what she thinks is hijab, but then she comes to the masjid, she, she feels that she can't pray in those clothes, then sister, you shouldn't be going out in those clothes. Same thing with the brothers. All right? Uh, brothers coming, walking around in shorts and whatever, then when they come to the mosque, they say, Brother, do you have any skirts? Do you have any izar? Well, brother, why are you coming to the mosque without your izar? Or why are you wearing something that you need an izar to cover? You know? Especially now as we're approaching the, the hotter, hotter time of the year in the summer. You know, I have brothers sometimes, almost on a weekly basis. Well, we have in Salat al-Jum'ah, brothers coming in shorts. And they say, brother, do you have any skirts? It's not my job to provide, your skirt, to provide you with skirts, first of all. Second of all, you know, 
why don't you have something? And third of all, you shouldn't be wearing those shorts. If, if it's hot, I understand. Wear three-quarter shorts, longer shorts, all right? No. Okay. The next point is women are not wearing a head covering or not covering their feet during the prayer. Uh, the awra for the women during the prayer is her entire body except for her face and no harm in her covering her face during the prayer if their need arises such as men passing by. If she covers her face and she's praying in public. Uh, uh, but if there's uh, any, uh, no, no need then it's allowed for her to uncover her face. So even if in the privacy of her own home she doesn't wear hijab, correct or not? But when it comes time to pray, she has to wear her hijab and wear her clothing, subhanAllah. Because this is out of respect for the prayer. Okay? Thus, it's obligatory upon her to wear her khimar. And this is the garment that covers her head and her chest. So she wears a khimar that covers her head and chest. So it should be a large hijab. Okay? Because some of these short hijabs, what happens is that then the, the chest and the bosom area becomes very pronounced. But if it's hanging from her head, then it covers her chest and bosom area in a more appropriate way. And this is based on the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, Allah does not accept the prayer of a woman who reaches the age of menses unless she covers herself with a khimar, with an overgarment. This, as we said, this veil, this long veil that covers not only her head but her uh, chest area. Likewise, it is obligatory for her to cover her feet based on the hadith al-mar'atu awra. The woman altogether is awra. So all parts of her body should be covered. Umm Salama was asked by the mother of Ibn Zayd concerning the garment of women during the prayer. Umm Salama said, تصلي في الخمار والدرع السابغ الذي يغيب ظهور قدميها. She said, uh, she should pray in a khimar, a head covering, and a long, loose-fitting garment that covers the tops of her feet. Okay? So it's similar to you know, what many of us sisters wear in prayer clothes or uh, the abaya, what we call the abaya, the, um, uh, the long garment and the khimar or the long hijab. This meaning is found in the hadith of Umm Salama. قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من جر ثوب خيلاء لم ينظر الله إليه يوم القيامة فقالت أم سلمة فكيف يصنعن النساء بذيولهن قال يرخين يرخين شبرا فقالت إذا تنكشف أقدامهن قال فيرخين ذراعا لا يزدنا عليه the Messenger of Allah وسلم, he said, Whoever allows his garment to drag out of pride, Allah will not look at him on the day of resurrection. Umm Salama said, What should women do with their hems, with the bottoms of their skirts or their dresses? He said, Lower the hem of the skirt or the dress one hand span. So the women's dress should be one hand span below the ankle. Is what Rasulullah said initially. But then Umar Salama said, but then their feet would show. Imagine one hand span below, it's still, it's going to be touching the floor, correct or not? But then as she walks, what's going to happen? Her feet are going to poke out of the dress. So she said, then her feet would become uncovered, their feet would show. He said, then let them lower a cubit. And a cubit is an arm, uh, yani forearm length below the ankle. So what would happen then? The sisters would be 
you know, having a dragging the her dress will be dragging on the floor. Like the bride, you know, the bride dress, our sisters, alhamdulillah, they're always brides. This is how our sisters should be. So that there, yani feet don't don't show. Now Allah Musta'an, the fashions and so on, the the dresses and the skirts are getting shorter. Allah Musta'an. Perhaps we'll stop here, inshallah. And we've still got a lot of things to talk about, about uh, mistakes, common mistakes in the prayer. Inshallah, we'll leave it for next time. Subhanakallah wa bihamdik. Ashhadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik. This program was presented by Al Bayan Radio, the voice of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah.